Welcome to the Bonfire. I am Morgan, aka Bond Diesel, and this is a podcast about video game news, speculation, rumors, and reviews. This week, I'll be covering Unity's self-inflicted wounds, some good news for Xbox, Mass Effect 4 not being open world, and much more. A few things before we get started. Subscribe to the show on your favorite podcast platform and on YouTube. Please subscribe to the channel, hit the like button, and comment with your thoughts, questions for next week, or to just say hello. A special thank you to all of my patrons, including producer-level patrons, Hassan and Horseman, supporter-level patrons, PK, The Dawn, Cage Nephilim, and Neuronix, as well as viewer-level patron, Zenra. If you're interested in supporting this podcast and getting ad-free episodes for as little as $1 per month, please check out patreon.com slash diesel. This week, we have like 10 stories. I think 11, actually. Story number one is a pretty big one, um, but one that's kind of settled. We'll see. Uh, Unity has made some weird changes. So if you don't know what Unity is, Unity is one of the probably the second most popular kind of um, easily accessible game engines. Um, there's a lot of games made on Unity. Um, I suspect Unreal still has the market cornered um, for being like a non-proprietary engine um, because we're seeing like triple-a studios really large publishers like ea um using unreal uh, unreal 5 especially now um and all the way down to small indies using unreal but unity has always been the top competition for unreal um even if they've never like truly competed with them and there's a bunch of really well known i think like genshin impact um escape from tarkov uh and a bunch of other like really well known especially like higher tier indie games are all on unity and um the changes they made is that the the standard way for engines to charge studios and publishers that use their engine is to essentially have uh, some kind of tiered system of uh revenue share and the way it's typically structured is that like if you're a really small indie dev uh, you may basically get the engine for free or just like nominal fees. Um, and it's based on your sales and your revenue. Um, and as you, you sell more and as your studio is bigger and bigger, uh, you know, they, 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 they take more of a cut. Now, I suspect that may reverse when you get to the tippy top. Uh, so like if you're if you're developing a game on Unreal and you sell 500 copies of it, I suspect you don't get charged much, if at all. Now, if you sell 2 million copies of your game and it's big enough, you, you, you probably have a pretty decent revenue share. But I've always been curious if like, like with EA potentially using Unreal Engine 5 for the next Mass Effect, is that such a big thing that maybe they cut some extra deals to make it, who knows? I won't get into that today. But basically, Unity has had this revenue share before. And then they announced this week that they were going to change that. And I'm not going to pretend like I understand the ins and outs and the intricacies of this, but what's come from it is that their plan was to basically charge people per install of their game. So they, they wouldn't take the, they wouldn't necessarily take the revenue 
from the developer uh, or, or share like the share. Instead, every time someone downloaded their game, they would be billed by Unity. And so this brought up some issues, one of them being how are they going to track that? And they, they uh, Unity didn't come out and say explicitly, but they kind of alluded to or hinted that they were basically just going to guess how many times a game had been installed, which makes no sense uh, and, and certainly wouldn't hold up when the, there's no way any dev or publisher would pay for that if it's there's not some kind of actual recording of how many installs are happening. Uh, the other issue is, is uh, live service games. There's live service games where every user who installs the game, you might be lucky to make 50 cents off of them. And if your game is free to play, if they didn't pay 10, 20, 30, 40, 50, 60, 70 dollars to get in, then you're, you know, you're, you're just going to have to be happy with that 50 cents. Well, if it costs you 15 cents to let that person even download the game, uh, or say that person downloads the game on multiple platforms and it ends up costing you 60 cents, but you only make 50 cents off of them, then you, you end up losing money by getting users, right? It's not how it should go. Uh, the final issue, and it's one that they tried to clarify, was that, uh, what about like Game Pass and stuff? So a developer makes a deal with Game Pass, Microsoft agrees to pay them so much money to put their game on Game Pass. The, the whole idea is that what Microsoft seems to do is basically for at least for some of the games on game pass will basically help them just pay for their development and then maybe make up for some of their lost revenue that they that they aren't going to get um because of game pass uh and and then that and and you can still buy the games in fact if you have game pass and you want to buy a game permanently you get like a 20 percent discount it's actually a pretty sweet deal um and so that's in but that's a negotiated amount of money that you get when you go to Game Pass. Well, the the stink here was these developers being like, well, you know, what if we're about done with a game? What if we've been developing a game for years and now you're implementing this? Um, we, we didn't factor that into the deals we've made. And Unity came out and said, in, in short, oh, if you're on Game Pass or a, a, a subscription service, we'll charge the platform. <laughs> And what is so funny about that to me is that that means that Unity thinks that they're going to take on Microsoft's lawyers, that they're going to take on Sony's lawyers. Good luck taking on Nintendo's lawyers, you know, like if that's what you think is going to happen. Literally, Nintendo of America is basically just a law firm. That's who they use a lot uh, to, to deal with all of the legal disputes that Nintendo does. And so... This has been a pretty crazy situation um, as this happened. Unity has like kind of pulled back on some of this stuff, but they've mostly just tried to clarify with different words and it doesn't seem like anyone's really buying it. Um, I, 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 I just, there's some interesting things about this. One of the really interesting uh, facts is that a bunch of the executives of Unity sold off a bunch of their shares days before this announcement. Um, you know, almost as if they knew this was going to be a shit show. Uh, one thing to know about Unity is that years ago it was bought out by a venture capital firm, uh, which means that they're owned by a company that's 
only focus is to make money. And so obviously all businesses, their goal is to make money and that's fine. You know, that's the way it works. Well, depend. it's fine depending on how you think about it. That's a long conversation. We're not going to have right now. But venture capitals, like literally they're like, they, they will buy up companies that are typically in trouble and financial need. And they'll basically, well, they'll do, they can do one of a few things, but what I've noticed is that they either stay completely hands off, basically say like, you have to make money or else like, we'll just shut you down because if you lose this money, then you're a waste of our time or they become way too involved and they basically take over and, and they, and they do a lot of stuff. So with unity, like this kind of, this seems like, unfortunately the opening salvo of this, the, the venture capital side of now, you know, that's coming to roost and they have to make money. And this is a way that in theory, they would make a lot of money doing this. But another part of this story is that now there's been, at least dozens of devs have come out of games that like like cult of the lamb and like you know multiple really well-known large like really successful indie games who have already come out and said like no we're like we're not gonna develop on unity ever again the cult of the lamb studio said that if this doesn't basically revert a hundred percent they're gonna delete the game on january 1st uh and you know cult of the lamb is it's a great game that's an awesome game um but you're seeing these devs uh the the ori games both of those were on unity um i'm trying to think of other games that were on it um and they're not messing around. They, they seem very serious. And a bunch of these studios and, and, and the probably the, the most damning thing about it is that uh, there's a really good chance that Unity is going to pull back on a bunch of these decisions. Maybe the problem is, is that for these devs, this is going to spook any dev that still has the outside chance to stop and switch to a different engine it is going to do it because the problem is is that even if they revert all of these announcements and all of these changes no dev is ever going to be able to trust unity ever again unless they literally completely change up their ownership and so it, it's a, it's weird like if their goal was to try to make a splash or just see how this would work see how it would be received by throwing it out there with the goal of just like yanking it back or at least the parts that people really hated. The, the problem is, is that, you know, game development isn't a thing that that happens in a year. You, you know, it's if, if a studio is two or three years into development and then this happens and they say, well, hey, we got to switch. We got to switch uh, our engine because we can't trust these, these. We can't trust these actors. So now, I mean, that for the most part means restarting from scratch because uh and, and i was trying to do some research on this there's no like direct like you can't port your game over from unity to unreal it just doesn't work like that and uh the the gotog uh, gotog or something like that i think is like the third most popular engine so obviously that's become very popular this week and but it's the same idea i believe that it's not like they're using some common language where you can basically just switch your game from one engine to another. It's, it's not that simple. Um, a game I play a ton that's on Unity, which is Escape from Tarkov, which for years since its inception um, has been plagued by issues 
that Unity just doesn't handle well. And Unity basically seems like it's completely unprepared to be a multiplayer, competitive multiplayer game. And they, they've had issues with the engine that will, I assume, just never be fixed. Um, and, and, you know, people have always, now there's a lot of implications to financials and stuff like that when it comes to Tarkov. There's a pretty good chance that the devs, you know, knew this engine wasn't ideal for their game, but it was cheaper. And so that's why they did it. But in, in order, like, like, say they wanted to switch Tarkov over to this other engine or to Unreal or develop their own proprietary engine, which is probably what they need to do, but they'll never do it. I mean, you're, you're talking about starting from scratch. I mean, I'm sure they can use art assets and models and sounds and, you know, there's, there are probably a lot of things that you could technically switch over, but not realistically. Um, you would essentially be starting from scratch again. And when you're already looking at a game like Tarkov that's been in development for four or five years and is still technically in beta uh, with, with an anticipated full release, I think next year in 2024, we'll see. They've literally never met a single deadline they've ever had. Um, you're looking at a bunch of studios in this same situation. And while some of the games may be earlier in development or, or would technically be easier to switch over to a new engine, I mean, it's a big deal. Like, like because basically the way it goes, especially even with like big AAA studios, you have all their proprietary engines. Like uh, EA has Frostbite, uh, Ubisoft has Anvil Next and uh, Snowdrop. Uh, you know, you, you, you have these studios that have these proprietary engines um, and then it's unreal, like and then it's unity, like unity. It's it's not like a joke, like this isn't like some thing that's not going to affect anything. This is going to affect significantly. And one of the big things was they were saying that these changes were going to be retroactive and no one really knew what that meant. But there was a potential that meant that they were going to go back and and, and uh, I believe they did clarify they wouldn't go retroactive as in like games that have already been installed, but it could be a game that you developed on Unity 10 years ago and new installs you would get charged for. Again, there's nothing built into those games to give Unity any idea how many installs are happening or anything, but they claim that they have some tech that can figure that out. So either they're just going to guess or they have this like ninja swear in their engine that can report things like this to them, which is like a whole different problem. Right. So this unity thing was a really interesting story this week. Um, it, they, they were meant to have like a town hall at one of their studios to explain it to everyone. Uh, but then that got shut down and a bunch of their studios got shut down because there was a death threat. And what was interesting about it is every time um, in, in my specific knowledge and what I pay attention to is game devs and stuff. Every time a game dev or publisher screws up, um, there, there's always death threats. And I'm not saying I don't believe that there's death threats. And I will be extremely clear in that threat, like doing that kind of stuff over games or almost basically anything. It's just really stupid and nothing. Uh, I'm going to say is uh, excusing or or supporting that it's dumb and the people who do it are dumb. But <laughs> almost every time you see devs screw up or a studio screw up or a publisher screw up, 
and then people do this, you always see the conversation tilt to that and you slowly see the original offenders kind of slink away and be like, okay, everyone focus on the bad people. We are just going to be quiet and slip away and let that take the conversation away from our real bad decisions. Um, and I don't think that's going to happen here, uh, mostly because it was found later. The police uh, re re released information that cited that the person who uh, who I guess someone threatened the lives of the executives of Unity for this change, and it was a Unity employee. <laughs> um, not funny, bad, you know, obviously a bad way to handle the situation. But it was just interesting because you instantly saw a bunch of people switching over to the uh, especially journalists and stuff like that being like, oh, gamers, they just always do this. And and now all those people are being quite quiet uh, when they when it was revealed that it was actually someone, an employee who was the one who did this. So this is a hot mess. Um, I don't think Unity's going to like die. Like I said, I think they're going to revert a bunch of these changes or at least make them more reasonable. I do believe you're going to see a lot of notable studios leave Unity and maybe they'll finish their current project or maybe they'll continue supporting a game they recently released or maybe they'll even release a game that's in like mid late stage development. But I think the long term prospect here is going to be that none of these studios are going to feel like they can ever trust Unity again. It's it's just it's too late like they 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 again i think they thought that maybe they could just throw this out there and see how people responded not realizing that there is a pretty good chance that this was going to cause people to just not trust them so even if this isn't the end of the world even if people do get over this uh, they're not going to forget and and basically they're going to say hey if this is even a the smallest possibility then we're going to bounce we're going to go somewhere else where that isn't the case so can be an interesting thing to uh to see how it moves forward i'm very curious the second story here is a pretty quick one uh, xbox game pass may have more than 30 million subscribers uh, and this was after i believe there was a number revealed earlier this year or late last year of 22 million which a eight plus million uh subscriber increase in the in less than a year would be a really really big deal for xbox and a really really big deal for uh, the brand and, and for Microsoft, um, that's, that's a, that's a huge amount of money. Um, this was linked on a, uh, this, this was found on a LinkedIn profile for a known, uh, Microsoft executive, uh, who was kind of bragging about this and they may not have realized that this was probably information that was not supposed to be shared publicly, uh, because it disappeared very quickly after these stories started hitting. So. Um, you know, I, I think this is at least somewhat of an answer to a lot of people who have been very skeptical if Game Pass can sustain itself. Um, if, if developers think that it's a good thing for their games, if Xbox can kind of take the focus off of selling more hardware because they just won't, you know, Sony's too entrenched now. Um, so they're, you know, going after a different market in a different way. Uh, and, and this should at least give some short term confidence that this is working. Uh, I know for me, Game Pass is a really big deal. I, I pretty much always have 
a dozen and a half games installed on my Xbox and at least half of them at any given time are Game Pass games. Uh, my game of the year last year was a Game Pass day one game and a Playtale Requiem. Uh, right now I've played an ungodly, I've played over a hundred hours of Starfield uh, in the last two weeks and uh, I love it. Um, I'm going to play Forza. There's a really good chance this year if Forza Motorsport wasn't on Game Pass, I'd probably pass on it, but I'm going to play it. We're going to talk more about that in a minute, but I, I just I think Game Pass is still a really viable thing. I think it's a good idea, and I think that this potential subscriber count shows that at least right now, it's still a thing that's probably pretty viable and pretty profitable for xbox while they're still trying to you know grab some market share in the places that typically matter uh, the third story today is that mass effect 4 may not have open world gameplay uh, so i did a whole video on this if you want to check out my youtube it's just under bond diesel i did a video about this story and basically jez corden who's a pretty well-known xbox you know journalist he covers everything but he's seems like he's pretty in line with a lot of xbox uh, information and news um it, he was actually doing he has a podcast and during his podcast he was talking about studios and developers doing the same thing that they always do or trying new things out he was mostly talking about starfield and during this conversation uh he was talking about how uh it's an industry rumor, we'll get back to that, that the next Mass Effect game uh, is gonna ditch open world completely and, and go back to a more traditional Mass Effect trilogy style of gameplay where it's a few hubs, it's an, a, an open galaxy that you can choose where you go, but there's not any big open world areas like what we saw in Mass Effect Andromeda or what we've seen in many, many open world games over the last five to 10 years. Um, now I specifically actually reached out to Jez and said, Hey, you know, do you have any more context or details to this? And he clarified, and it's what he said originally, but he like reinforced it. That it wasn't a firsthand, um, leak or anything that he had received directly from a Bioware employee. It's just a thing that basically he's heard from, uh, like third and fourth hand sources, but that it sounds like it's a pretty common thread. And so my guess, like these things tend to not come from nowhere. And so even if he is a third, fourth hand source on this, it probably means that at Gamescom or Summer Games Fest or some or like PAX and things like that, that these conversations are happening amongst these journalists, especially when they're all kind of, hey, did you so-and-so said that, you know, someone at Bioware told them, blah, blah, blah. Um, and the main reason I believe this or that there's at least some truth in it is that it, it kind of makes sense. You know, Bioware is going through some tough times. They just did all those layoffs. We know that, you know, they're years behind in this Dragon Age Dreadwolf game, which is we're assuming this big open world. It's like Inquisition 2, right? Giant open world RPG, you know, doing that whole thing. That's, you know, everyone's been doing for the last five, 10 years. Now, what... The, the reason I think this Mass Effect rumor is is likely uh, or at least has some truth to it is that if the next Mass Effect is going to be that same thing that Dreadwolf is, then we're, I mean, it's going to take five or six years to develop, right? Like we won't see this game maybe on this generation of consoles. 
And so if if the goal is instead for the next Mass Effect to come out in the next three years, they, they can't do a giant open world game. Instead, what they're going to do is something more manageable. It doesn't mean that if they drop the open world thing, not only does it not mean that it's going to be like a short or small game, it probably means it's going to be a much more catered and hand built experience where when all of these games we're seeing it with Starfield and we're seeing it with a bunch of these other open world games like like Starfield, which I'm going to talk about more later, that all of the planets are cool to explore. I've genuinely had fun doing all of that stuff. But if you honestly ask me that uh, if, if instead of God, like a hundred star systems and a thousand planets, if instead, what if they would have just done like 30 star systems with like 150 or like 200, 300 planets that were like hand built, had very specific missions on more of them, you know, like I like what Starfield is. But I can admit that that experience would probably be more fulfilling, would, would probably have been better. Now, it wasn't their vision. It's not what they wanted to do. That's fine. But I, I just think that there there probably is a world where like like if you told me that like Mass Effect Andromeda, if they wouldn't have tried the open world thing with that, uh, which the open world for Andromeda is basically like a handful of planets that have like medium to large open world areas and all the main missions take place in those places and the uh, inside missions take place like in the open areas. And they it just wasn't great, at least in my opinion. If even if you took Andromeda for everything it is and isn't, if you would have condensed that experience down to something that looked more like the trilogy with a few hub worlds, some places to do side missions, places to do main missions and so on, would it would that single change have made Andromeda better? And probably, in my opinion, at least. So I I, I don't think that and I and I in my reporting of it really tried with the Mass Effect thing to be like, this is just a rumor that's been confirmed. This is not meant to be like a this is definitely happening. But like if I had to give it like a, a confidence percentage, I would give it like a 75, like 75 percent chance. This is probably mostly true. And um, I, I think it just makes sense for a lot of reasons. Uh, the main one being that I think they can make a really good and fulfilling Mass Effect experience in two, three, maybe four years. That is more of the old school Mass Effect kind of game where if they try to do open world again and try to take like Andromeda a better, I, I think you're looking at a game that would be like Dreadwolf and not come out for four, five, six years, maybe more. And honestly, with the way things are happening at Bioware, I have a lot more confidence that a Mass Effect game that's supposed to come out in three years is going to actually happen. Uh, because if you tell me that the next Mass Effect is six years away, I'm concerned that they may not even have a studio in six years. I'm fairly confident they will in three. And if Dreadwolf hits, and if the next Mass Effect hits, Bioware is going to be fine. But if Dreadwolf comes out and it's okay or even bad, heaven forbid, and then the next Mass Effect is still six years out, EA is going to shut down Bioware. They're not going to do that. <laughs> like that doesn't make sense. That 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 will make it basically, you know, we're already ten years since the last like big hit. Uh, you know, 
Bioware had around 10 years. Uh, and by then you'd be looking at like 15 or plus years since they had had like a truly successful game uh, and in all metrics. And so, you know, publishers were going to do that no matter how much history you have. So interesting thing, something to keep an eye on. Really hoping we get some interesting N7 day news this year. Uh, the fourth story, we had some Forza Motorsport previews. So if you don't know, that's the next Forza game. They are dropping the, the numbers off of it. It seems like they're going to be making this some in some capacity, a like long-term live service game, which actually makes sense for racing games. There's, I'm, I'm kind of sick of the whole um, live service thing at this point, but racing games are, are like one category where you kind of like, um, okay, that actually kind of makes some sense. Um, and it sounds like it's really good. Um, I, I watched a few different previews on it. I obviously didn't get the opportunity to check it out, but it basically seems like it's, it's Forza, like you kind of expect but that they have changed it to try to make it more approachable to more normal people, but there's still all of that detail and fine tuning for hardcore people. Those are all really good things. That's awesome. All those things are awesome. The other part of it is that they're really touting its graphical fidelity. And this is going to be one of the first, uh, first party games where they've already said it has like a high performance mode. That's 60 FPS, a high quality mode. That's 4k 30. Uh, and then, uh, I believe there's a high quality mode with ray tracing, which is going to be, uh, I don't know if it's gonna be 4k, but it's gonna be 30 FPS with like, like legit ray tracing everywhere. Like, like really, really impressive ray tracing. But then there's also a performance ray tracing mode. So that's going to be 60 FPS. Uh, probably like 2K resolution, 1440p, I would guess, or variable with ray tracing also. And now that ray tracing is going to be pared down. It's not going to be, you know, super duper crazy ray tracing everywhere, but it's still going to be there um, more than likely in the places that matter. Part of car reflections, water, stuff like that. And so uh, that's really exciting. I I don't expect Forza Motorsport to be like a game of the year competitor, but what I do think it's going to be is a game that's going to get like a 85 Metacritic score and is going to be a absolute hardware showcase for Xbox. Um, the same way as I think Spider-Man, the upcoming Spider-Man game, Spider-Man 2 is meant to kind of be that because it has, um, you know, it has the, the, the 4K, you know, uh, resolution. It has the ray tracing. It has the performance modes and stuff like that. And in motion, that game is just gorgeous from what we've seen so far. Uh, I think the difference is, is that with Forza Motorsport, it seems like it's going to be a thing where like, if you zoom in on stuff like these materials, these textures, this lighting and all this is going to be like amazing. We're, 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 we're Spider-Man 2. I think we've already seen that when you get too close or things stop moving, you know, this looks like a PS4 game that, you know, has been upgraded quite a bit, but still has those roots. And then maybe that's why it can still do some of the performance things it's doing. Um, and maybe that's true of Forza as well, but it kind of doesn't seem like it. Uh, another interesting thing about Forza, and this is a fairly standard thing at, at this point for racing games, is when you're in like a gallery view of like your car, there's this thing called level of detail in games. And so uh, the way most games use it is when an object is really close, it, you're seeing it in full quality, 
highest resolution of textures, the smoothest um, version of the model that has the most intricate, you know, everything. And as that object gets further away from you, uh, the textures get lower resolution, the shapes get a little less detailed, um, so it can save hard, you know, hardware head, you know, headspace uh, for your system, your PC or your console. And that's how games work, right? So what sounds like it's gonna be really cool about like if you look at one of the cars you designed in a gallery is it's going to be the like really you know high frame rate so it looks nice and smooth it's going to be the 4k textures and it's going to be the full like completely blown out ray tracing and um it's just going to look gorgeous now that's obviously not in the middle of gameplay but that is uh in a you know uh, it's just a way to showcase the work um, that these studios have done. The studio has done on this game. Um, it's also exciting because it's going to be a good look at the same engine that they're making Fable on. And while I have huge concerns about how in the world they're going to take, because I believe it's on a proprietary engine. I don't think this is Unreal or anything. I will always have concerns about them trying to turn a racing engine into a open world third person magic RPG engine. Um, but at the end of the day, all engines are, are just collections of tools. And so if they've designed that engine to be flexible enough, or if their engineers are good enough and they can make it work, then it could be really cool because if Fable's able to take advantage of all of these really impressive uh, tech things that Forza Motorsport's doing, Fable could be a very interesting game. The next story is uh, some is my quick kind of final for now Starfield thoughts. I do still I probably this coming week plan on doing like a more formal Starfield review, including like my final like review score of the game and kind of where it stands in my game of the year and stuff like that, which I'm still deciding. I'm still thinking about. Um, but my kind of final thoughts like where I'm at with Starfield right now, um, I'm over 100 hours. I believe I'm around 110. Um, I've beat the main campaign um i beat a couple of the side faction things and then i went to the new game plus and um i don't want to spoil anything and you can't really talk about new game plus without spoiling so long story short um new game plus is interesting but i wasn't ready for it yet so i actually did a thing and i was able to go back to my original playthrough and i finished everything i did all of the faction quest lines i've done not all, but quite a few of the side missions, uh, especially like the major ones. Uh, there's an endless number of like really small like activities, which is what they call like the really simple side mission stuff, as well as some other side mission stuff. I, I'll still dabble in probably, but I'm not like focusing on it. And I'm at a point where like I'm kind of ready to, to take some time. I've basically, you know, exclusively played Starfield for over two weeks and I've played a lot of it uh over 110 hours in a couple weeks i'm i'm ready to um i'm ready to take a little break and so in doing that um i'm, I'm doing it in a really positive way i'm very impressed by starfield it's got obvious you know downsides or things that are a bit lackluster about it things that feel very old about it um but I guess opposed to some people, the ups 
just outweigh the lows or the downs so much. It's like, yeah, that thing is kind of annoying, but this stuff is really cool. Like, that's just, that's, I, I felt like that so many times. And every time I would notice something that I didn't like or that, you know, I understood why it was getting criticism. Um, I just felt like then I would notice like three things where like no one's talking about that or things that I just really liked. Uh, I love the soundtrack. I actually really like the characters. I think the just the base aesthetic of this game, uh, this being this like grounded near future NASA punk is the thing I keep seeing it described as like it just looks so cool. The ships look so awesome. Uh, many of the environments, especially the interiors of everything look so good. And they're so detailed. Um, the, the, the spacesuit designs just look so good. Um, just so much of the stuff, it just looks good. And then it sounds great. A lot of the weapon sounds, a lot of, you know, the audio in this game is, is really good. The music and the soundtrack is just out of this world. So good. No pun intended. There, there's just so much about it that I just really like. I love the main story. I liked one of the faction quest lines a lot, 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 lot. There, the other ones were fine. If you're playing Starfield, do the UC Vanguard quest line. I thought it was fantastic. Do the rest of them too. I just, that one, at least in my opinion, stands out a lot. Like, there's the main storyline, which I think was great, and I really enjoyed it. And then the UC Vanguard quest line could have been its own game. And my it could have been the main story of this game. And I would have been completely fine with that. That would have been super cool. But it wasn't. And it was great. So um and and now I wait. You know, I'm gonna get back to probably my Baldur's Gate playthrough get back to my Mass Effect playthrough I was doing. I'm starting to load up mods for Mass Effect. I'm probably going to do another PC playthrough because there's like new mods out and I didn't do everything right that first PC playthrough. And I want to do an updated mod video to suggest new mods uh, or give updated suggestions. And um, I want to play Forza. I want to play the Avatar game when it comes out in December. Um, I want to replay some, you know, maybe like Jedi Survivor. I really like that game. And now it looks really good. So this is going to be a time for me to delve into my backlog or even future log. Now, that said, um, once they update the game, Starfield, uh, once they get native DLSS in, once they do a DLC, I'll be back like in an instant. And even like I want to do the new game plus stuff. We'll do a whole spoiler cast eventually. But like I want to do the the new game plus stuff eventually. It's like it's hard to explain. It, it's a different way of playing the game, and and I'm willing to do that eventually. But I'm connected. Like I'm connected to that first playthrough. The, the the real dilemma I've had is: Do I want to do a fresh playthrough from scratch, or do the new game plus? Because today I would be way more likely to do a a from scratch new playthrough uh, knowing everything I know now I think I could do some things differently and have fun with it but then the new game plus does have some enticing aspects so we'll wait and see either way Starfield just an awesome game and if you have any interest or any ability to play it please do it was 
Um, I did finally check it out on Series X as well, and it feels great. Um, it is 30 FPS. When they said that there is a difference between a game that is absolutely rock solid 30 FPS, like never dips ever. And that was my experience in the little, you know, the half hour I played. Um, it, it, it feels really good as opposed to some other games that are doing like, like their quality mode is 4K 30 FPS, but it still dips to like 25, 20, 20 FPS every now and then you feel it. I, I will say at least in, in what I played, um, the uh, 30 FPS on the Xbox doesn't feel bad. In fact, it felt pretty good, but that was limited. So we'll see. Okay, right, we're gonna take a short break and I'll be right back. Okay, so I mentioned it briefly, but uh, I wanted to quickly talk about like what I'm going to do next for games because I don't know. I already said I have a Xbox Mass Effect playthrough. It was a, a human centric playthrough where I was, you know, only doing um, human squad mates, uh, making choices that generally uh, benefited humanity. Uh, in Mass Effect 2, I bought in on Cerberus until I couldn't anymore. And so I'm in Mass Effect 3 on that. I think I'm like a third of the way through the game. I'm probably going to finish that out mostly on stream, but probably on my own a little bit too. Uh, I may have started downloading, like I said before, uh, some PC mods again for Mass Effect. I'm, I'm going to do that again sooner than later, probably around in seven day. Get started on that. Uh, I did have a second Baldur's Gate 3 playthrough going where I was playing as a paladin. I was romancing Lazelle instead of uh, Shadowheart. And it's weird. Like, Baldur's Gate 3 is probably still my game of the year. Um, I was doing that second playthrough leading up to Starfield coming out. But there's just something about... I'm finding it hard to get motivated to go back to that. And it's not Baldur's Gate's fault. It's a great game. But after doing a playthrough of Baldur's Gate, which took a long time, and then starting another one, which I pretty much played exclusively with some Tarkov mixed in there. And then Starfield, and I play all the Starfield I've played. The idea of just jumping right back into another like really big RPG like that, especially one that I'm not feeling the combat. I just I just don't like turn-based combat. I just don't. I tried Sea of Stars. I played it for like 20 minutes and I just I need voice acting. I need real-time combat. I, I, I need some of that, which is why I'm probably going back to Mass Effect for a while. I, I just, I will finish that second Baldur's Gate 3, uh, 3 playthrough eventually. It's probably not happening right now. It's probably gonna be like next summer or something, but we'll see. I've, I've surprised myself before. Um, th there's the live service games I've been ignoring. Apex Legends, I love. I haven't played in months. Uh, Battlefield 2042, I was playing a ton before Baldur's Gate came out, and I haven't touched it in three months, two months. Uh, the Division 2 had some content delayed uh, that I think is coming out relatively soon, and so I'll dabble with that, uh, even though I just, I really hope, I hope Year 5 is it. I really hope they move on from that, but... Uh, and then there's just like general backlog stuff. Like I really wanted to play through, uh, you know, I, I had a, a, another playthrough of Red Dead Redemption 2 going, right? I haven't gotten to that. Uh, I've got a few games from Game Pass um, just sitting 
on my Xbox that like I want to try and play and I just I never have I've never gotten to it and I just keep getting distracted you know and so um it's a good problem to have it's only going to get tougher you know we have a few more games come out this year I'm interested in and then we have like Hellblaze Sinuous Saga next year we have you know hopefully a few other you know big titles coming out that I'm excited for uh, Dragon Age Dreadwolf hopefully and um yeah, I think uh, I think this backlog slash uh, lack of ability to choose or commit is uh, probably not going away anytime soon. Uh, we got some new Cyberpunk 2077, uh, you know, kind of showcases and news this week. Uh, so they have their uh, so there's two things going on with Cyberpunk right now, if you're not aware. So there's the 2.0 update coming like here in a couple days. And then there's the Phantom Liberty DLC. Um, so I believe the deal, the, the, the 2.0 update comes on the 18th, I think, uh, or 16th. It may be tomorrow soon. And then the Phantom Liberty DLC comes like a week after that. And, and the big thing that they've been touting, and I've started to see some reporting on it, is that this 2.0 update, it's not like a complete reimagination of the game, but it is taking a bunch, if not most of the core mechanics and it's replacing them or train changing them drastically and so like all the skills and stuff like that are changing up um, i think i said like the stealth systems and the melee combat and things like that are changing up um, i know that they've even said that like the police system is going to be different where like you'll straight up like get they compared it to grand theft auto the way that you can get in a bunch of trouble and then get killed or arrested and then you you know have you have some issues with that and so I'm, I'm excited for this. I'm just a little skeptical. I, I did a playthrough of cyberpunk where I rushed it. Like I didn't play half the content probably, um, but I liked it. It was cool. Uh, I like didn't romance anyone, uh, even though Pan Am, like, mm, like she was there. I just didn't realize why I, I messed up and I didn't do everything I had to do for the romance. So I have a, again, this is becoming a theme. I have a second playthrough of uh, cyberpunk sitting there where I'm romancing Pan Am and stuff like that. And so I still don't know if they've talked about Phantom Liberty and how you access the DLC. I'm assuming it, it can't, it's not like a different, well, supposedly there are new endings to the game, but that you need to be like in the middle of a playthrough to do Phantom Liberty, which will be perfect for my situation. And so I, I am excited to see, um, you know, the changes they've made and, and to get into that. Um, we'll just see if I play it all the way through. Um, I, I want to check out the Phantom Liberty DLC, um, but we'll we'll just we'll see. I don't know. Um, so far so good. They're saying all the right things, but the problem is I will forever be a little skeptical of them because they said a bunch of good things before the game. The first the game came out originally, and you know, I still don't think they ever got enough crap for that. I, I think what they did, um, you know, for every person who says, look, well, actually the game worked really well for me. I had no problems. Um, okay. But even beyond the tech issues they were having, um, I still just kind of felt like cyberpunk was a very shallow, but very wide game where, you know, it was supposed to be, or at least it was being touted as this like genre defining game. And instead it was just like a pretty good game that we had kind of seen before at least that's my take so i'm hoping this 2.0 update kind of 
you know, sets it, puts it in the place where it was probably supposed to be in the first place. And um, I'm hoping the DLC is is really, really good. Jedi Survivor got an update, a pretty big one. And um, after seeing some testing uh, from Digital Foundry on this, please check them out. Uh, they are a very good YouTube channel that does extremely good work when it talks about uh, how games run on various hardware and stuff like that. Um, it seems like they've like mostly fixed Jedi Survivor at this point. Uh, the performance mode uh, does like a steady 60 FPS. The biggest thing it seems like they did is they mostly got rid of the FSR, uh, the AMD like FPS boosting technique. Um, they mostly got rid of it, all of its weird artifacting. And I mean, that game just always looked so fuzzy before. And now it looks really good. It looks a lot better, um, especially in the performance mode. Uh, so that's good because it, Jedi Survivor was so funny that despite how janky like the graphics and stuff were that it didn't always run great um, up until Baldur's Gate came out. That was my game of the year. Still, it was it's a very good game and it's still in my top three. It's it's probably third um, behind uh, Starfield and Baldur's Gate being tied for one and two. I can't decide. Uh, and then probably Jedi Survivor. I love the story. The combat was a lot of fun. The, um, the characters are great. Uh, the platforming it's maybe the most fun platformer i've ever played in my entire life it was very satisfying and very fun to learn how to play that game and uh just so much about it it was beautiful you know when the when the tech wasn't screwed up and you had moments of beauty um there's some moments towards the end of the end of the game story-wise that were just really 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 good um we know that they're making a third game and there's hints that a recent Star Wars show may have had our boy in it, the, the main character of the Jedi games, uh, but maybe not the way people want him to show up in the live action stuff. Um, and that there's some theories about how he may end up in that situation that will almost certainly explore in the third game. And I'm terrified <laughs> because uh, no matter what happens, I think it's going to be really cool, but it will be heartbreaking if they do what uh, I think they're going to do and some other people do. So Jedi Survivor, if you got it and didn't want to put up with it when it came out or you've been sitting on it, waiting for it to get better, um, maybe wait for a sale if that's what you want to do. Uh, but I was I'm very impressed by it and I loved it right after it came out. And so if it's running better now, it can only be better. So please check it out if you haven't, if it's a if it's a game that you think you might be interested in. State of Decay 2 is the game that just cannot die, which makes it ironic because it's a zombie game. So it kind of makes sense. It's getting more DLC. Um, so what's happening is they're releasing a DLC called Curveball and uh, it comes out on the 18th of this month, September. And what's interesting about it is that um, I believe it's the Wushu Studios there. And uh, I think I believe they're in England. And so is Undead Labs, who makes uh, State of Decay, I believe. And um, what's interesting about it is that uh, State of the K2 had an update, gosh, a few years ago now called the Juggernaut update that basically pretty much redid everything in the game. Um, and made it a even better experience. I've always enjoyed Stay of the K2, uh, but the Juggernaut update made it like a truly great game. And um, this curveball update is kind of doing the same thing. Uh, I believe they're doing a bunch of quality of life stuff, add new content, all of that. And this is Wushu Studios. And um, 
specifically curveball is referencing this new mode or mechanic in the game that will basically randomly give out uh, these like world situations so it could be um that zombies drop ammo which they don't typically or it could be that zombies have way more health than they did before and so that's the curveballs part of it um what, what so this is interesting i'll definitely jump in and play it and check it out i may not know life it because things are busy, but I'm interested in seeing what it turns out to be. Uh, what's most interesting about this, though, is that we know there's a state of the K3 in development. Uh, we know that Undead Labs is working on it. And uh, I believe it was it, it was a while ago. It was maybe a year, if not more ago, that they announced that Wushu Studios was going to be like a support studio for them. And it pretty much seems like they probably have a skeleton crew at Undead Labs helping Wushu continue development on State of Decay 2, while I assume the bulk of that studio works on State of Decay 3. Now, a couple years ago, they did have some issues where it came out that uh, former and current employees were complaining about some kind of really crappy stuff that was happening in that studio. Supposedly, the people who were the issue are gone and left or, or were asked to leave and uh hopefully that situation's been better because um state of the k2 kind of flies under the radar but that game has probably been the most respectful game of its players that i've ever seen or been a part of um, i don't play all the time i have played a ton of that game in the past but but just recognizing that you know these many years later uh like if i look at the content that state of the k2 players have gotten compared to what i've gotten as a division 2 fan which these two games came out pretty close to each other i believe it's like night and day like state of the k2 has gotten the way better experience uh at least as a live service game so uh good on them good on those devs i i hope that all of the lessons and trials and tribulations they've learned from all of these years of State of Decay 1 and then 2 especially is going to give us a really cool State of Decay 3. Uh, Embracer Group is possibly selling off Gearbox. Um, that, that's a studio like that, like Borderlands, basically, uh, as well as some other things. Um, there's no definite plans. I believe there's even been some comments coming out being like, yeah, we're just looking at our options. Uh, but Embracer Group continues to fall apart. Um, oh, I forgot to write it down. Uh, the studio that made Immortals of Avium, uh, this was a EA partner game where it wasn't done by an EA studio. They just published it, basically. Um, uh, a, a venom or a vernum or something like that uh they laid off half of their staff because immortals of avium is not doing well and it, it's really interesting i've seen some people blame it on um so immortals of avium if you don't know which you probably don't was supposed to be this like basically like call of duty but with magic um it was made by a bunch of former call of duty devs and um and it was supposed to be like a different twist on that. And it seems like it kind of fell flat. Um, a lot of people uh, are blaming it on it. Just it came out in the midst of um, like Armored Core 6, Baldur's Gate 3 and Starfield. I don't think that's the biggest issue I, from what I've seen of the game and what I've you know seen from reviews and previews and stuff. It just doesn't seem like it was a very good game, unfortunately, a, a game that anyone really was asking for. And, um, and and I think that's probably, unfortunately, a, a big issue. So um, one thing that I did think was interesting is that uh, it seemed like a lot of the people laid off or especially people um, who had worked on Unreal Engine 5. And so 
if there's any upside to this, there are a ton of studios and a ton of developers uh, adopting Unreal Engine 5, uh, even studios like CD Projekt Red making the next Witcher game and stuff that uh, these Immortals of AVM developers have developed and released the game on Unreal Engine 5, where a bunch of other studios are probably still learning the engine. So hopefully a bunch of these devs are going to be like invaluable to other publishers and other studios. And hopefully they all find jobs really fast because Unreal Engine 5 is going to probably dominate this generation by the end of it. And so I think people with experience on finishing something in that engine, even if it was a bit underwhelming, are going to be like super valuable. Uh, Nintendo and Sony, uh, Sony had a couple small showcases. Um, I'm not a super big Nintendo fan. Some of that stuff did look kind of interesting. Anything Mario is always going to kind of raise my eyebrow. I'm just waiting for that next console. So maybe I'll talk more about Nintendo when that next uh, hardware comes out. Uh, and then the Sony show was kind of just like, I mean, it was a third party show. It was basically, uh, you know, here's things that we've shown you already, but more of that. Uh, the first party they showed was Insomniac Spider-Man 2. Um, and then they did a preview event for that as well. And so there's, there's a lot of people talking about that right now. Um, it seems, and, and actually a really good quote I saw was from Tim Geddes at Kind of Funny, who's like, probably one of the more casual people in their studio who he's just have like probably like the most normal gamer um and he basically said he said he made it clear he's like spider-man 2 feels amazing like everything about it feels great but it's still it is a sequel to Sp the first spider-man so you know if you didn't like that game for some reason this one isn't gonna win you over because it's the same game it's just better and that seems like a pretty reasonable thing, but that seems like it was the biggest thing that came out of that Sony conference, uh, which is why I didn't spend much time on it during this podcast. Um, I'll hit some quick content up updates at the end here. If you watch my YouTube or if you late night watch my Twitter, you'll know that um, pretty notable games journalist uh, decided to tag me in a post and tell people that they should stay away from me um, over an interaction that we had of all places on freaking uh, blue sky um it frustrated me because after a uh, a a two like a, a, a like i said two reply interaction uh he decided to use his fairly large audience to try to um kind of stink me which was frustrating because he lied about what happened in the interaction he kind of pretended like out of nowhere i messaged him directly uh, uh, some weird shit. and what actually happened is uh, he posted some rage bait some clickbait i responded to it uh, he basically said Baldur's gate 3 makes starfield look bad which is a fine take he's definitely playing the interactions but that's fine and i said who cares they're both awesome uh to which he responded in a way that basically made it seem like he didn't think uh anyone was allowed to not agree with him. At least that's how I took it. And then um, I may have said some sarcastic things about him, maybe thinking he he's a little too big. Um, I realized it was a really toxic uh, interaction. Uh, this it was probably spurred on by the fact that this guy is kind of all he does is do these hot takes that are meant to kind of get these elevated reactions. And then he does this whole victim thing where 
he says something that's supposed to annoy people. People get annoyed and then he throws his hands up and says, why are these people annoyed? Um, and I think with me, it was the fact that I'm sure most of the accounts he interacts with uh, that, that, that jump at him have like three followers and it's like themselves uh, and like, you know, no profile picture. I suspect that he saw that we probably have a lot of mutuals, a lot of mutual uh, followers on Twitter and stuff and that I actually make content and I'm, you know, a face in some capacity and decided to go hard at me. Uh, my favorite part about it is that he uh, uh, explained our interaction as, well, he said I direct messaged him uh, deranged things or something, uh, which I didn't. We, we had a, uh, I, I said, uh, who cares? They're both fun. And then I kind of made fun of him for thinking he was more important than he was, which I deleted because uh, it was immature. It was stupid. Uh, but then he portrayed it like I DM'd him, which was a lie. And that's weird. That's a weird thing to say and make up. Um, and then in and, and some, and some following tweets, he, he said something along the lines of that. I went uh, full scorched earth after I deleted my comment. I just blocked him everywhere. Uh, I, I kind of realized, like, yeah, this guy's been annoying me for a long time. I probably had a little outburst here. So I should just, and this is, I've done this before. I just, I'm just going to delete this person from my view and everyone will be happier. And he uh, decided to portray that as me uh, losing my mind. Um, it, it's frustrating because I, I can almost guarantee, I noticed that a few people who I like really like, a few um, pretty well-known people uh, who used to follow me on Twitter and stuff uh, no longer are, and uh, they're in the same circle as, as this person. And uh, that's pretty frustrating because they lied about our interaction. And uh, then I probably lost at least some opportunities uh, because someone with a, a bigger uh, influence than I have um, decided to be dishonest about a weird interaction really from both of our sides we were both being assholes and so um it's just you know that's the way it goes um I'm, I'm i'll be fine i'll get over it but i am still kind of frustrated because the guy's a real prick but that's fine move on to the next thing um i am going to start doing a rating scale on my reviews um i, I want i may even do a whole video on it as something just to talk about i I really hate the way reviews uh, are kind of rated now um, because it never really, the number never seems to make sense. Like, what does the number mean? Because uh, it rarely means anything. It's just a thing to throw on Metacritic. And so my whole thing is going to be basically that my scale is going to be based on recommendation. It's not going to be based on, I rated the graphics and the sound and the gameplay and the story. And then I, you know, average that out and that's my score. I'm not going to do that. So that stuff's all too subjective. My rating scale is going to be purely based on recommendation. So it's going to be a 10 out of 10 is a game that every single person should play. I don't care what genres you like. I don't care. This game is so good. Everyone should experience it. Uh, an eight to like a 9.5 will be a game that like if you have any interest in this type of game, you should play it. It's a great game. Um, if this genre, like the only people who shouldn't play it are like, if I give Forza Motorsport a 9.5, you should play it unless you hate racing games, right? Um, then like six to seven ish is going to be like, if you like this genre, you're probably going to like this game. If not, you probably won't. Um, because there's lots of games like that. There's lots of very good six or sevens out of 10. Um, I just think that you need to be its target audience and that game will be great, um, but it may not be for everybody. And then the one to five will be a, 
uh, a, some kind of, uh, you know, some kind of system of, you know, if I give something a one, I probably won't ever because I probably just won't play a game that's that bad, but we'll see. So be on the lookout for that uh, when I do any reviews or when I talk about games here on this podcast. And then the last thing is um, Mass Effect and seven day 2023 is coming up in a couple months. And so um, around that window, I play on a, a week before and ending a week after I'm going to do a big merch giveaway. I'm still figuring out the logistics of it. Um, but right now there's free shipping at the uh, Bioware gear store, and I have like $350 worth of credit I can use uh, towards it. And so uh, I'm just going to buy this weekend a crap ton of merch and um, I'm going to give it all away. I think I'm going to do multiple small prizes uh, and I might do a thing where I pick like five winners or something and I and, and maybe I get like 10 items and they can each pick two. And then the last person gets the final two things that are left or something. I, I, I've tried to do like one big prize a few times and it's ended up like where I spent like 200 bucks of credit on stuff. And I ended up getting like, a you know, a pretty small number of entrants into the giveaway and it ended up barely being a contest. Uh, the funny thing is, is that one of them uh, I give away is someone who lives uh, within like 10 minutes of me. Uh, and we had agreed. I said, Hey, this is completely up to you. I can just meet you and just give you this stuff instead of doing the mail. And then they were like, yeah, that's cool. Um, I'll let you know, never heard from him again. And so I had to spend like $20 shipping it very close to my house. And that was frustrating, but that's fine. So be on the lookout for that giveaway. I'm really excited to do it. Um, there's some really cool merch out there right now. Uh, I'm, I think I'm going to spend, uh, I'm going to do about 300, 350 bucks of stuff. I might save like 50, uh, for the next few weeks to see if any really cool items pop up in the gear store. Uh, but this free weekend is a pretty good opportunity for me to save even more money. So that's what I'll be doing. Okay. Listener questions. Uh, if you have your own question, uh, that you want me to answer or a topic you want me to talk about for next week, you can jump into my discord and ask in there. You can jump into my Twitter mentions or the YouTube comments, or I even have a, a Google form that you can fill out that you can find in my discord or over on my Twitter at bond diesel or at bond, the bonfire. This week's question comes from Anna Lareth. I always call you Anna, so I'm not really sure if I say that last thing right or not. Uh, she basically, she asked about the uh, Unity thing, which I think I already answered, uh, but then asked my, fav my five favorite uh, original soundtrack uh, songs. I, I don't know if I can do original soundtrack, so I just picked my five favorite and I and you told me not to cheat and I think I kind of cheated, but here's my five favorite I could come up with. Um, this probably isn't 100% accurate, but I like this list. Um, number five is Lungs and Limbs from The Walking Dead uh, Telltale Games. Uh, this is one of, I believe, A New Frontier, the credits song. I listen to it all the time. Um, that whole series has just some really good music, uh, but that's a song that really stood out to me. Um, Unshaken from Red Dead Redemption 2. Uh, it's a part of the game where you're getting back to a hideout to try to prevent a bad thing from happening and you're flying you know through the woods and uh this song plays and man it's so good um hella from hellblade one hellblade's newest uh 
sacrifice uh it's the final boss song and it's the music's completely different than like the rest of the game and i'll never forget um in the way the game ends it's just it's cool and um i'll never forget like the goosebumps i had the first time i played uh or the only time i finished that game and that song was playing and i just like oh it was so good it was great um compass from red dead redemption one uh this is the song you hear um, when you're returning uh, in that game, I mean, it's a really old game, so no so spoilers, I guess. Uh, your family gets held hostage by the police, uh, and you have to do a bunch of stuff for them. And once you do enough of the stuff, they release your family. And when you're, again, it's kind of like Red Dead Redemption 2, you're flying through these roads, you're trying to get home because you know that your wife and son are waiting for you that you haven't seen in a really long time. Uh, and that in this song plays, I believe, when you're riding home uh, for that. And it's just so good. Um, and then Vigil is my number one from Mass Effect. Um, I'm one of them that I hope that the next Mass Effect game has at least one good Vigil soundtrack moment where we maybe we see an old friend or something and it plays. I, I don't know. But Vigil, um, to this day, like uh, every time I start a Mass Effect one, uh, every time I finish Mass Effect three, I always, I typically start a Mass Effect 1 right up, but what happens really is I start up Mass Effect 1 and then I just listen to Vigil for like an hour. It's just uh, while I do other stuff, but it's got to be Vigil. Um, so I hope that fit your rules, Anna. If not, I'll, maybe I'll try again some other time. Uh, thank you for the question. I really appreciate it. Again, if you have any questions or topics for next week, please hit up one of those various places I, uh, I said you could. And that's where we're going to wrap this one up. Um, thank you so much for listening. I really do appreciate it. Uh, the solo podcast, uh, you know, this isn't the most popular podcast genre in the world, uh, and it really does require um, input from the listeners. And so uh, I really appreciate the, all the discussions we have in Discord. People hit me up on Twitter and the YouTube comments and stuff like that. Um, be heard. I want you to be a part of this show. So please, uh, so please do that. Please be a part of it. Um, not a huge audience we're working with here, but big, more than big enough for me. Um, and you know, it makes me really happy that a, uh, an extremely large room of people listen to this show every week. And, uh, it makes me really happy. So thank you very much. Uh, if you have any feedback as well, please let me know. I'm happy to, uh, change things up. I'm always happy to, uh, to, uh, try to make the audience happy. Uh, you can find me all over the internet as Bond Diesel, including on Twitter, YouTube, Instagram, threads, and over on Twitch, where I try to stream a couple times a week, um, but things get busy. It doesn't always happen, but uh, please be sure to check that out. If you want to support my content, you can check out patreon.com slash Bond Diesel. You can subscribe over at Twitch, especially with your Amazon Prime sub, which is free to you, or you can check out my merch that is in the link down in the description. That's all I have for this one. So until next time.